Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we are talking about the playoff series between your Detroit Pistons and the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, we have Ty Windish of the Eurostep podcast on as a guest. Ty and I get into a bunch of factors for the series, how the Pistons might defend Giannis, what the Bucks' rotation looks like with their injury woes, the uh, low but present fear factor Blake Griffin instills, the greatness of playoff thon, uh, and much more. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. It's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what you all are talking about, which really only should be this playoff series, if uh, that makes any sense. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this playoffs. With all that said... It's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I'm your host, Lazarus Jackson. I'm pleased today to be joined by Ty Windish of the Eurostep podcast. Uh, what's up, Ty? Not much, man. You know, we were talking right before we recorded about energy levels, and I feel like I almost need like a side feed of some like hype music or something, because you have a very soothing voice. I do have like the, I put the NPR voice on for the podcast, and I've talked about this on the podcast uh, previously. But like that's that's what I'm going for, right? Like I don't, I'm not like a huge energy guy, but uh, yeah, that's what it, it is. What it is. I, I enjoy it a lot. I just want to say, just so everyone knows, this wasn't a critique. This wasn't a shot. To open up the pod. I'm a big fan. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. And I mean, like like we talked about before we started recording, you are entitled to take uh, a lot of shots during the course of this podcast. <laughs> I, I'm sure I will. Yeah, so we are. Uh, I brought Ty on obviously to talk about the in, uh, impending playoff series between the Detroit Pistons and the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, the Pistons have zero chance. Uh, the Bucks swept the season series for the first time in NBA history, um, and I think there was like a six percent chance from five thirty eight. Cool, good podcast. Thanks for coming on, Ty. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was probably <laughs> the most fun I've ever had on a podcast. <laughs> no, but for real, like so. We all know what makes the Bucks so dominant this year. It's been the improved play of Giannis Antetokounmpo, but he was always this talented, right? Like, is it just the update to the coaching staff? Is it just getting Jason Kidd and Joe Prunty out and uh, bringing in Mike Budenholzer? Is it something else? Is it something within his game? Like, why Why is this the, the year that Giannis made the leap? I'm going to be boring and say it's sort of a mix of all of those things, but I do think that sort of lost in uh, the – just excellence of the Bucks this year. That's not a sentence I'm used to saying. Um, yeah, it's sort of almost something that I've seen used a little bit against Giannis in the MVP race. I don't want to get too deep into that. I mean, Bucks people, most people outside of Houston don't care all that much. I mean, Bucks fans clearly want Giannis to be MVP. Harden's got a great case, whatever else. But there's sort of this perception that goes around out there that like, oh, the the Rockets, you know, they need Harden for their system and the Bucks don't. It's like you're crazy. If you think the Bucs are anywhere close to this without Giannis, he is the system. Maybe it doesn't it's not doesn't come through as dramatically as hard with point totals or anything else, assist numbers, all that stuff. But this is Giannis. Like Giannis is the engine that runs this team. 
it's nowhere close to the same without him. It's really just like a kind of a lot of guys looking at each other like, all right, let's all shoot 100 threes and drive at the rim. And it kind of works because they're good players. But Giannis is the central point. And to your question where is it just a schematic change that's made him and this team so good, it certainly helps. But I think something I wrote about before the season, uh, I believe at the step back, is he got bigger again. I mean, Giannis gets bigger and better every year, it feels like. I mean, the numbers bear that out too. Like literally pretty much all of his averages go up every year, which is crazy considering he's been good for more than this season. But his pure muscle has gone up a lot. I think since his rookie year, he's put on like 50 pounds of muscle. This dude is absolutely yoked. And now that's why, I mean, he's able to do these dunks. He just dunks on everyone. I think that's pretty well documented at this point. It was Tom Haverstrow's whole reason for, for giving him his MVP support. Just He just dunks. He's going to break the dunks record, I'm pretty sure, the un, un, uh, un, un, unassisted dunks record. I can't talk today. Um, that I think Shaq had set, and it's just no one can hold him in the paint. When he gets to the paint, it's pretty much going to be a dunk unless you foul him. And that's that's all him. That's all Giannis. You know, Coach Budenholzer can't coach a guy to gain 50 pounds in five years or whatever. And he deserves a lot of credit for that. And I almost think that's sort of flown under the radar a little bit, like that point. But, I mean, this guy's a complete workaholic, and that goes into it too. No, I I totally I totally get that. I was thinking like while you were saying that, I was thinking about like the conflicts of things and like the thing about Budenholzer, right, is that he's always gotten teams to overperform in the regular season, but then those teams have been uh under have I guess underperformed like their win total or whatever, not necessarily underperformed their talent level or anything, but they underperformed because they ran into uh superior individual talents, right? Like they ran into LeBron those Hawks teams I'm thinking of in particular. Well, this year he's got the team he would have, but like this time he, this time around he has LeBron, right? He has the unstoppable offensive force. And I think like that, and that's what I'm thinking about. Like when I'm thinking about the conflicts between like what Giannis does for Bud and what Bud does for Giannis. Absolutely. You know, that comparison has been thrown around a bit like, Oh, these bucks are just going to be like those Hawks. They're going to crumble in the playoffs. That's what coach Bud teams do. And, I mean, I don't know if you can say they crumble in the playoffs. I mean, they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, I believe, in that 60-win year. But like you said, I mean, they ran into LeBron, and that's kind of how the playoffs go. I mean, it's pretty rare for the team with the absolute best player in the league to – I mean, got, the best player in the league doesn't win every year. But, I mean, if you have LeBron and Kyrie and Kevin Love on one team and Al Horford and Paul Millsap and I don't know who the third guy you'd say is, Jeff Teague or Kyle Korver on the other team. yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's you just know how that's going to go. I mean, you have three guys who are all probably better than the best guy in the other team. Good luck. And, and one of those three guys is LeBron freaking James. So it's just like a, that's a tough thing to, to label Budenholzer with. Even before I became obviously a, a fan of his, you know, when he became the Bucks coach, it's easy to root for anyone besides Jason Kidd and Joe Prunty coaching your team. But even before he was affiliated with the Bucks, I wanted him as the candidate. I didn't think it would be possible because I thought he always did a great job with Atlanta and you know, you're just asking a whole lot if you think this guy with Al Horford and Paul Millsap should, like, win the title or go to the finals in, over a LeBron team. So I couldn't agree more with you saying that, you know, that's there's deeper – there's more to it than just, oh, this is Bud, his teams are good in the regular season, and then they're not. Like, it's not – that's very overly simplistic in my opinion. No, yeah. So what's uh, what's the rest of the rotation behind Giannis for the Bucks? 
in the playoffs because there's some injury stuff that's happening, right? We don't – I'm pretty sure Brogdon and Miritich uh, aren't going to be ready for game one. Snell's a little bit more iffy. Gasol, like, Gasol, like, shouldn't play at all but was going to. I think they just keep telling Gasol he's hurt. I don't know if he is anymore or not, but they just keep saying that. So, yeah, so who who's the eight-man rotation? Who are you guys going to war with? So I'm assuming Brogdon doesn't play in this series. Uh, I think – Miritich is still like questionable for game one, I think. And the I think I think you've either written or mentioned this. I know some some people for the Pistons have as well. I mean, this is a very nicely spread out series for rest. I mean, two games between two, one and two and two and three with the Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday beginning, which is awesome. So I don't think the Bucks are gonna rush anyone back and we'll get to uh, you know, why I think that probably later. But uh, you're gonna start and see uh Eric Budsoe. Sterling Brown, who's been basically the fill-in for Brogdon. He's not as good as Brogdon, but he does enough of the same things, good enough to where the drop-off has not been huge, where it could be as you know a 50-40-90 guy in your starting lineup. Then Chris Middleton, Giannis, the man himself, and then Brooke Lopez. And on the bench, I think the three or the two bench players you're going to see the most of early on with all these injuries. George Hill, who I think is going to play throughout the entire playoffs. Uh, Bud loves veterans, and... Lately, George Hill has been a lot more dynamic on offense than he's been in like a year and a half. So that's pretty exciting stuff for the Bucks. I mean, they could – I don't know if they need him to be that good, but as I said on the Eurostep uh, yesterday or whenever we recorded, you know, that's just gravy. Like if your role players are playing really well and you got Giannis and Chris and Bledsoe and whoever, then it's – the team becomes kind of unstoppable. And then for your bigs, you're going to see Ersan really still play a lot. Uh, a guy the Pistons have some familiarity, I believe. Was Ersan ever a Piston? Yeah, he was a Piston a couple yeah, years back. That's yeah. what I thought. He's been all over. I can't even keep track. He's played for the Sixers, too. That's why I was worried I was confusing those two teams. But Ersan, uh, just super dependable. Uh, his taking charge game is unmatched. His offense has been good lately, too. He can hit threes. And he's got, like, the one-handed, unathletic tipping game just down. Like, if you are washed and you want to play at the YMCA, like, don't watch Steph or whatever. Watch Ersan Ilyasova. Like, that's you should pattern your game after uh so those are going to be the main guys and then for like the eighth man you're looking at you know maybe some pat Connaughton, who i think bud likes you might i mean if miritich is healthy he'll probably be that to start i don't know if he becomes a starter right away coming off the uh, injury and then tony snell will get minutes when he's healthy too because he's just like a very quiet nice fine three and d win you can put in there so i was surprised to hear you not say DJ Wilson. Are surprised to hear Urson is getting rotation minutes over DJ Wilson right now. Like what what's up with that? So DJ Wilson's highs are great. DJ Wilson is a fairly inconsistent player. Uh, I, I know, you know, like I said, I mentioned earlier with, with George Hill, Bud loves veterans. And this is something my my broadcast partner, I guess you could say, Kane Pittman pointed out after the Oklahoma City game. Uh, the most the end of the year one that the Bucks truly did not care about. No one played except Chris, and he played like 17 minutes or something. But I'm pulling up these numbers now. But just looking at it, DJ was one of the guys who played a lot of minutes, and that's not good. It doesn't seem like all the all the playoff rotation guys that we know about, like Chris Sterling, did not play a lot. And then you have DJ Wilson played 46 minutes in this game, so that's pretty good indicator. He's not going to be counted on to play a lot. Meanwhile, you have Ersan played 23, Chris 17. Sterling 22, George Hill 18, Pat C 18. And I think DJ, like I said, his his highs are great, but he's not a super consistent player at this point. Obviously, you know, he did some decent work guarding Blake at some points, not not all the time. Blake is really good. But 
I just think that they want to go with the guys they feel like they can trust are going to bring the same thing every night, and that's probably Ursan before it is DJ. As much as that's going to infuriate the DJ Wilson obsessed part of Bucks Twitter, which kind of a part of, but I I do get the reasoning. Yeah, no, the reason I ask is because like DJ is a guy who you would think can do a lot of the similar things that Ursan does on offense while being you know like not thirty three years old <laughs> and slow defensively it's like that's why i was just like bringing that up because it's like that 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 makes a lot of sense to me but you're right bud likes vets um there's a reason why he traded for george hill in the first place so like that that also makes sense well the funny thing about the george hill trades at the time i was like yeah george hill might play but i mean it's it still feels like first and foremost it's a salary move i mean they got off delhi and henson with that and george is barely guaranteed next year so that's going to help them a lot later but Honestly, to me, it's so much. I think the organization planned on getting more out of George Hill. I didn't think they were going to get all this out of him personally. So it's been kind of a nice surprise that he's played pretty well and become a real rotation piece. No, oh, yeah, definitely. So do the Bucks play any any zone? Do they need to play any zone in this series, do you think? I doubt it. The, they, the only reason they've really gone to zone recently is like when they're, everyone's out and they just kind of want to like, – like so they can play Tim Frazier – DJ Wilson and Bonzi Colson, 44-plus minutes without them. So they can hide yeah, guys. Yeah, without gotcha. them being exhausted. That's really – like the junker games is when we've seen Bud use zone like all game just to do it. So I think they could pull it out, but I would be surprised if fully healthy and, and operational they would go to it that often. I think they much prefer having sort of a man defense for three guys, you know, with Bledsoe hounding the ball handler, in this case I'm sure, Reggie Jackson. They, they, they like to hide Giannis when they can on like a four so he can kind of rove and then they'll have Brooke Lopez camp out the paint against Drummond. Yeah, see, I was watching I was watching some film earlier today and that was, you know, they like to drop Lopez. They don't like to have him do anything 25 feet from the basket because he's Brooke Lopez. Right. But at the same time, uh, having him drop that aggressively, having him... He's not Rudy Gobert, right? So you can you can get into the mid range against him. You can get floaters, and Jackson likes to likes to operate in that floater area. But uh, especially during the home games, there were times where he just like didn't have the lift, and so like Lopez was still challenging him and getting into a shot. And so I was uh, I was wondering about that. The Pistons have also like really really struggled against zone defenses because they don't have the personnel to attack a zone properly. Right. And so it's like if. If they were so inclined, the Bucks could like probably bust out his own and embarrass the Pistons further. <laughs> I, I just feel like they won't. And I think one thing we've heard the Bucks talk about a little bit recently is they want opponents to play to them. You know, they want they want to do the things they do well and say, if you have a strategy that can beat us to try to mess with us, fine. We're going to do what we do. I mean, teams started playing. How very, uh, how very Spursian of them. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, it's like, like I said, this is all very strange to Bucks people who are not used to their team being in a position to be like, no, we're going to do what we want to do and you have to play to us. But it is nice. Like the Nets recently beat Milwaukee, resting some guys. Uh, Giannis didn't play in that game. But it was weird for me to see. They just didn't play Jared Allen down the stretch at all to try and go smaller and, and mess with the Bucks. And, you know, it's nice to be the team that other teams have to adjust for like that. Like I don't think – there's too many teams that would take the Bucks so far out of their comfort zone. They would do that. Maybe, maybe if they had to go smaller and Lopez was getting torched with a, a, a shooting big man, a shooting five. But otherwise, they, they really like sticking to that style. And, you know, they, they know the efficiency numbers. If you want to shoot mid-rangers all day, go ahead. 
So be honest. Uh, were you a little bit, what was, what was the uh, fear level of a healthy Blake Griffin in a playoff series? Like before the news came out about his, his knee injury. It was there. I mean, I just think that there's a lot of things about the Pistons, I think work against them when you're talking about a series with the Bucks. So even when he was healthy, I mean, the games earlier in the season, I actually felt bad watching the guy. Cause it just felt like he did not have the help he needs and he'd be playing the box, and he's just, you know, ISO over and over, and he'd get some buckets. It's, like, great. I mean, he's going to get his. That's awesome. But it just didn't feel like enough, even with him, you know, out there and playing well. So then you look at – and he had, he's put up – I don't have him in front of me. He's put up terrific numbers against Milwaukee. Like, he has against all teams. I mean, I think he should be a lock for that third-team NBA spot next to LeBron. Um, but I just think – it just didn't feel like it was enough. I just felt like there's so many other things working against the Pistons – Mostly the fact that they don't have any big wings, which is kind of detrimental when you play a team that starts Chris and Giannis at the three and four, that I felt like uh, even if he was healthy, maybe like a three out of ten, maybe a two. Okay. No, that's fair. I mean, Blake, I do Blake personally, those. sorry, Blake personally would be higher. I'm going to cut you off. Like him himself, like definitely more, but just as like an overall series threat, not that high. Okay. I do have those numbers in front of me. It's 24, uh, eight and seven, just pretty good yeah i'll say that's pretty good um but when i was watching film earlier like you you can see during the games a lot of that is coming against the thons and the dj wilson's of the bucks not necessarily like uh, when he, he's not necessarily like putting up all those points like on Giannis. you know see i don't i'll be i'm who did the honest did you, did you see who Giannis was guarding in those clips I'm so yarding Giannis was Giannis was guarding blake but uh when oh, so when yeah, they'd switch, or Giannis would be really slow in closing out yeah. because they're not necessarily afraid of Blake from the perimeter. That's something he like was flashing uh, earlier in the year. Right. He shot a good percentage from three against him, but like if you turn Blake into a jump shooter, that's kind of what you want anyway. Exactly. The same. They do that to Embiid too. Yeah, he was getting to the rim against Thon and DJ. Yeah. He was not getting to the rim against Giannis, understandably. Yeah, and that's the thing about Giannis. I think is kind of clouding his DPOY case in a lot of ways. Is just they prefer to have him be a free safety. Like he can guard anyone. I mean, it's, he does not a problem, but just to maximize his effectiveness. And really, I think a, in a big way as well, the reasoning for this is keep those fouls down. Giannis is a guy who used to get into foul trouble a lot early in his career. I don't think personally he's become more disciplined, but if you have him rove more and be a primary ball handler guarding drives less, then obviously there's just less chance to pick those up. And whatever they can do to keep Giannis on the floor is, is going to be a good thing. Yeah, that was the story of some of these Bucks Pistons games was early foul trouble for Giannis. And a lot of that uh, came from Blake drawing charges on him in the post. Yeah, he uh, he averaged 4.8. I have the Bucks stats against the Pistons, just not vice versa. He averaged 4.8 fouls per game against Detroit. So that's why his scoring numbers, I mean, he played less than 30 minutes, scored 20 points with eight rebounds, seven assists. So Yeah, played less than 30 minutes and still murdered us. Like. <laughs> <laughs> he only shot 58% from the field, so. Uh, only? Oh, yeah. okay. Ridiculous. No, yeah, but he's ridiculous. But I want to go back to a little bit to something you said earlier about the uh, the size of the wings on the Pistons. Yeah. Um, that's definitely that's definitely been the case, and that's definitely a weakness um, that we've note taken note of all year uh, over here, at Detroit Bad Boys. But um, I will say that 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 that's definitely a weakness. But if that entices guys like Chris into operating like purely from eighteen feet and in. Like if Chris is like backing us down, like he's like Lamarcus Aldridge, like I'm I'm kind of okay with that, you know. Yeah. I don't know how much the 
I don't know how much the the difference in the playoff settings makes Milwaukee want to take advantage of that, right? I think they still will. Um, it's interesting. That was a point of contention between Chris and the coaching staff for a while because early on, Bud was like, don't do that ever. And then Chris's numbers took a little dip, and they were still fine. I mean, he still ended up making an all-star game, which is stupidly based on only the first, you know, more than half, slightly more than half of the season. But he's, that was sort of a give-and-take situation, and Bud, you know, I don't want to say famously, because most people outside of Milwaukee don't care, but within Bucks circles famously relented some of that, that control and said, you know what, take some of those shots. I don't want to limit you too much. And they, they will let him do that now. He, he's always wanted to do that. And obviously, you know, it's not as ideal as like a Giannis dunk or an open three from somebody. But I think especially in the, in the scant minutes you'll see without Giannis, the Bucks are pretty happy with getting that look because he's damn good at it. I don't have his post-up numbers or ISO in front of me. I certainly wouldn't have a way to just see about smaller players. But eye test only, it feels like he dominates whenever there's a little guy on him. And he kind of gets contemptuous about it. Like he looks offended when like, the Luke Kennards of the world, not to single out Luke Kennard, is fine, but when guys like that who are like 6'3"-ish guard him, he, he looks like, really, man? This is the guy you think is going to guard me? Okay, fine. Post up, just buckets, because the guy is money. He's called money for a reason. No, yeah, no, I totally I totally get that. I remember what Chris was like when he was playing in Detroit, and he, he wanted to play like that in Detroit as well. He just never got any time. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, like, what do you – what do you think about the wings defensively uh, on on the matchups in in Detroit? So the key for the Pistons is when they get all three of their wing players just bombing away from three, they can be successful. If they get and and that's Wayne Ellington, Luke Kennard, and Langston Galloway. When they get two of those guys uh, playing oh well, like they can they can survive. Uh, when they get one or none of those guys playing well, they they're kind of done. And the Bucks. And I don't, I don't foresee like Giannis guarding any of those guys. And I think there are ways to kind of exploit Chris's size on the perimeter for uh, for some of those guys. Uh, Andre set some really mean screens. Wayne Ellington just likes to fly around the perimeter, just uh, running through pen downs and stuff until he can find an open shot. And it's not like the Bucks are. It's not like the Bucks. It's not like Tony Snell and uh sterling brown are like the best perimeter defenders ever you know yeah and so like i think there's there's some opportunity there um but like maybe maybe i'm wrong i haven't really watched a, a ton of the bucks this year like what what is the perimeter defense like that's not Giannis? it's strong i think it, it hurts not having brogdon out there who i think is really good sterling like i said it, in most areas picks up most of the pieces chris is good i mean he's I think he's not getting the level of acclaim he used to. I think that's sort of deserved. I mean, he does a lot more offensively now. But really, their best non-Giannis perimeter defender is Bledsoe. I think he's probably going to be first or second team all, all defense. He should. He certainly should be. I mean, smarter people than I have called him the best point guard defender in the league this season. And that's obviously not going to be on, on the wing players all the time, which, you know, we've seen the Bucks leave shooters open a lot lately, and it's been pretty frustrating. And I'm very interested to see. This is almost sort of like a, a testing ground to see how they'll do in those situations because, you know, in the later rounds, like if you catch the Sixers, you have to account for J.J. Redick. The Raptors are going to have Danny Green out there. The Celtics have their guys who can shoot the ball too. The Bucks keep leaving. And it's not consistent, but in crucial moments have left guys like Redick open and It'll be a good test to see, you know, how often does Langston Galloway get open and get away from everyone? You know, how often? I'm sure that'll be Sterling's matchup pretty often. You know, how how 
close can Sterling stick to him? Because that's really, I mean, this defense is not overly complicated. They'll switch sometimes, but it's everyone cover your man and, and leave Lopez down there in the paint to not let anyone get shots at the rim. So it's really just seeing how those guys can handle screens. And Bledsoe is the absolute best at it. He gets around screens like crazy. He's just a pest, really, in, in all the best ways. No one, is, no one is as good as him, though. I had a, I hadn't considered Bledsoe. Do they ever play like Hill and Bledsoe together to let Bledsoe get some minutes on the wing or no? Sometimes it'll be interesting. Like I wonder how much more the sort of very focused playoff setting will lend itself to things like that because I don't know. Like, is a guy can popping open threes like Langston Galloway more of a priority for the Bucks than Reggie Jackson? Sometimes I mean maybe, especially if Reggie's gonna you know pull into the long twos that he'll do sometimes. I this I think that's like. I think the Bucks might just say, fine, let George Hill go with him in the long twos. We'll totally live with that if, if Bledsoe can clamp down a shooter. That seems like a good trade to me. I don't know. I mean, Reggie Jackson can randomly kill you too. But it'll be interesting to see how, how flexible Bud is with how he uses Bledsoe. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, and I remember that it's, it's weird to see Bledsoe being or reemerging as one of the premier perimeter defenders in the league after all those years in Phoenix where he just like didn't care anymore. Right. You wondered if he still had that in him. Uh, and it, clearly he does. He took a really long vacation. and It's worked out very well for the Bucks this season. <laughs> that extension probably helped. Yeah, oh yeah I, it certainly did. And I was actually excited to hear about that, even as a, a, a front office viewing person or whatever. I mean, it, it nukes your cap space for this summer. So all the plans, like, oh, if they let Bledsoe walk and you know uh, renounce these cap holds, they could sign a max guy and then also keep Middleton and Brogdon. They'd be way in the tax. That's all gone. But I mean, I, I, who are they really going to get anyway? You might as well. If you can keep a guy who's been so crucial, who's not that old, at what I think is a pretty reasonable price, I'm I'm all for it. So the Bucks play pretty fast. They were fifth in pace on the year. The Pistons do not play fast. They're 28th in pace, and like it showed very much. Uh, is there any concern that the Bucks will be kind of less effective at the slower pace that the playoffs are usually played at? Sort of. I, I don't think a lot. They're, they're not averse, obviously, to taking shots early in, uh, in the shot clock, clearly. But I think some of that is just, they're just so willing to let it fly. I don't know if they need to operate fast so much as, you know, they get Lopez a little bit of space because the center legs behind and he just pulls every time. They, they tell him to pull every time. That's what the team wants. That's what they do. They're just so willing to shoot early. But, I mean, they'll take and make those same shots later in the shot clock. This is a team that loves transition but doesn't need transition. And, you know, I'm talking about shooters and stuff right now. Then obviously you have the, oh, this play is dead. We, there's a couple guys on the Bucks who can just make something happen. Bledsoe, sort of. Middleton, definitely. And, and obviously, it just feels like there's when, when the games are on the line, it feels like Giannis can get to the rim and, and get the ball in the hoop, regardless of whatever teams do to stop him. So I don't think it's too much of a concern, mostly because the Bucks just have a guy who can ignore circumstances and, and dominate pretty much no matter what at will. Yeah, that's what I was. I, when I imagine like the Bucks in transition, I'm imagining like a Giannis grab and go, yeah. like a Bledsoe grab and go, right. more than uh, like a, a concerted effort to play fast. Yeah, they're just so they're a very confident team on offense, and I think that's very much on purpose from Mike Budenholzer. It's like if you have a, a shot to the an open path to the rim or an open three, like take that. Like we want that every time, and they encourage. You know, Lopez will be like oh for seven, and you'll you'll see Bud like no, keep shooting. We need we need those are good shots. Keep shooting those. So. 
I think it's not as much like the Bucks feel like they need to move fast as sort of like if they have an opportunity, they'll just take it. So Andre Drummond is the best rebounder in the NBA. Yes. Um, but Brooke Lopez and I guess both of the Lopez brothers have given him fits over the years. Uh, is there is there any concern about the way Andre can affect a game on the offensive glass from from Milwaukee? There's certainly some. Uh, Lopez is one of those sort of Stephen Adams-esque paint figures where oftentimes you'll see him box out and let another buck get the rebound. I think that's good. That's a good approach to take against a guy like Andre Drummond because, I mean, if you just battle him for rebounds, you'll lose more than you'll win. I mean, clearly he's Drummond is just a completely gifted rebounder. But I think it'll help the, – the Bucks can mitigate that a little bit by sort of having Lopez and guys like Giannis work for those boards together. I just think that makes it really tough. I mean, Giannis could probably win. I, I don't – a lot of people think Giannis should jump tips early. I, I don't really care that much personally. But clearly, he's a guy who can get up there and grab boards, too. Um, but I think that's sort of one of those things where the Bucks have to live with it. I mean, that's what Andre Drummond does really well. They'll try to minimize that. The Lopez brothers being good against him helps. But, you know, if that's his thing, that's his thing. I just think that that's one of those you kind of have to account for in game planning. Like, yeah, he's going to get some offensive rebounds. What can we do after that? Yeah, that's fair. The what the Pistons usually have done over the last couple of years, even understand Van Gundy, was kind of use the threat of him on the offensive glass to slow teams, especially in transition. It takes multiple guys. Well, if you don't have a Lopez brother, <laughs> it takes multiple guys to keep Andre off the glass. Right. And so you can you can just, you know, drop four guys and let Andre like single handedly take the offensive glass and, and keep teams out of transition that way. No, it certainly is something to consider that that could make a difference in some of these games. But I think Milwaukee, the nice part about the Bucks is they're such a good offensive team, but they're actually better defensively. And I think they're confident enough in their ability to get back and stop the Pistons going the other way that I don't know that'll really impact them there on the other end uh, in terms of not wanting to give up those boards to Drummond. But it'll be, it'll be interesting to watch for sure. I think clearly with Blake either you know out or limited or whatever, there's going to be a whole lot of pressure on his shoulders to kind of, and no one expects them to win, but he's going to have to be the guy in some of these games. Like I can't wait to see, you know, how he sort of steps up to that challenge. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see myself. All right. So how, how real is playoff on scale of one to 10? It's been weirdly real. Uh, like six, I'll say like he plays a lot better in the postseason. I think, I don't know what that says about him as a competitor in the regular season. I think, he was asked about that by somebody, I can't remember who, but he was like, no, it's not real. You know, I just get more minutes and that's how I play. And it's like, all right, Don, you've gotten minutes to play before. Come on, man. Um, but, you know, he, he does certainly ramp his intensity up. He's gotten results, but yet to get a serious win. And I think the Bucks are hoping that even if he plays well, that that, that trend continues more than anything else. No, yeah, <laughs> that's totally fair. But, uh, I mean, to counteract that, right, it's not like Giannis has made it out of the first round before. No, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm definitely not saying that he's not going to make it out of the first round this year. Do not get me wrong. <laughs> but, like, the, the Bucks' success and Thon's success have been, you know, intrinsically linked. This is, uh, that's a very valid counterpoint. You first want to bring that up to me. I, I don't know if I appreciate that or not, but uh, you're certainly correct. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, is there – so – the Jazz, the Jazz have counteracted, or they attempted to counteract Giannis 
by throwing uh, Gobert on him and uh, kind of uh, seeding seeding the perimeter to him and kind of staying home on shooters and letting Giannis build ahead of steam, but kind of just run into Gobert. I think that's a strategy that the Pistons might employ uh, in this series. Has uh, as the Bucks have like seen that more during the regular season? Like, what have been the uh, the counters they've developed to that? Well, obviously, I think they. So Eric Name, who's a terrific reporter for the Athletic, covers the Bucks. Asked Giannis about that specific trend. You know, you know, teams are using centers on you. You know, how 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 are these different strategies of guarding you working basically and. Johannes, speaking specifically about that one, using centers, whether it's Embiid, Gobert, whoever. Can I swear on this podcast? Uh, yeah, go for it. He said, man, they keep trying things like that. That shit doesn't work. And, you know, he's right. I mean, he's averaging 36.5 points per game against the Jazz this season, shooting 50% from the field. So it's just... He's just so dominant. It sounds like a lazy answer, but he he's not perturbed by anyone defending him. I mean... I've seen him literally get that head of steam going against the center waiting back in the paint and finish over the guy, and it was freaking Boban. Like, I can't imagine attacking Boban from the dribble, but he did, and he made the bucket because in addition to being strong, I've talked about already, Giannis is very skilled. He's quick, obviously athletic. He can cover so much ground and move so much, and he's got a really nice touch around the rim. So even if he can't, and it's very rare that he can't. But even if he can't just bull through you without picking up that charge, which is crucial to, to watch, especially if I think Drummond will cover him a lot. That's going to be a very important thing. I mean, if the Pistons can get Giannis in foul trouble, all of a sudden things get moderately more interesting. But he's skilled enough, too, to sort of work around those guys who usually aren't quick enough to keep up with him all the way. And then he can draw those fouls. And then obviously if Giannis gets to the line a lot, that's a very good thing for the Bucks. He averaged 12.5 trips against Utah this year. So... I just think he's not concerned. And then if, if you bring any help, then he's just going to find the shooter. I mean, his passing is – I mean, it's not obviously to like LeBron or, or Jokic level. Like he's not there, but he's got a, a laser of an arm. I mean, ask James Harden's face about it. And he's got good vision too. He, he'll find the shooter if you leave someone open. So, I mean, it's one of those where, I mean, I think you kind of compared him to, to LeBron earlier. I think even if he's not that kind of – player right now or maybe not that transcendent in all facets of the game like Bron there's a LeBron element of like no matter what you do I mean you're not going to nullify this guy at this point no yeah that that's totally fair all right so give me give me your prediction again uh am I getting am I getting a gentleman sweep can I get can I get one game I, I'm gonna say that it's gonna be a a non-gentleman sweep I, I'm I'm calling bucks in four and I think part of the reason is this is not a team that is like comfortable in the playoffs. And I don't think that, you know, like we've seen like the Warriors and the Cavs for after the first year when they both went, they kind of knew that they were going to win every series. I mean, we saw LeBron just mess around with the Raptors in some of those games, like spinning the ball in his hands, pretending to drink beer and whatever else. The Bucks have never, like you mentioned, gotten past the first round before. This is going to be, even if everyone watching is like, oh yeah, they're easily going to win. I don't think anyone on the Bucks is going to think this is easy or, take anything for granted here. I think they're going to go pretty much all out and they really want to get rest to get those injured guys back acclimated. So I just think this is not one that I expect the Bucks to take easily, which is tough for Detroit who, uh, who really drew the the short straw in terms of matchups. That that's two things I, you know, I put, I had two of those two thoughts in my head, like Giannis hasn't made it out of the first round 
and uh, the Bucks, you know, have uh, haven't they're inexper- they're inexperienced deeper in the playoffs. I hadn't like put those two things together, and it's like, oh, like, yeah, okay, that makes a lot of sense. That it makes sense why they would want to keep their foot on the necks of the Pistons the entire series and not let up. Right, because I mean, I think. I mean, I don't know if these guys like scrolling Twitter. I really don't think so. But there would certainly be a perception if, if the Bucks are down at any point in the series, like, oh, they were fake all along and everything else. And if that were to happen, I'm sure Milwaukee would just play even harder. But I think there is, you know, when you haven't been this good before, I think there's certainly an, even an additional desire to prove yourself that you are real. And, you know, the Bucks have been saying for a while, you know, we, we we're now we're, our goal is the playoffs. We're going to make a deep playoff run and everything else. So. I just think this is going to be uh, some high-level basketball from Milwaukee. I don't think we're going to see like the Cavs sort of just slogging through the first couple of rounds. So after the Bucks beat the Pistons in five, mm-hmm. uh, how far do you think they make the, make it in the playoffs? I mean, I think their floor should be to the conference finals. Uh, I just think they're they're better than Boston, and I, I, I'm not even positive Boston wins. Honestly, I think the Marcus Smart injury is really tough for them against the Pacers, and the Pacers are just a hard-nosed basketball team that has a great coach in Nate McMillan. But I think their absolute, absolute ceiling is NBA champions. And I think uh, as a, you know, probably partially homer, I like to think I'm not very much of one. Uh, slash, like, realist, like, my, my sort of general NBA take is I expect them to make the finals and then lose to the Warriors. And I just think, you know, they've beaten – they've won every, every series in the East this year. No one's beaten them in the regular season in terms of a series. They, they've lost games, but not a series. I just think that the Raptors are very good. The Sixers are very good. The Celtics are very good, et cetera, et cetera. And that's great. Like, I don't want to take anything away from any of those teams. I just think the Bucks are better and they have the best players. So their, their realistic goal for me is to go to the finals this season. All right. Are there any other uh, series on either the East or the West that are you're, you're paying attention to during the playoffs? I think they're all kind of interesting to me. I mean, I mentioned I think the Pacers could win. I'm going to watch especially the first couple games of that one closely. Uh, the Raptors uh, got some tough injury luck with OG Ananobi with a appendicitis, which he must just be like, really, man? Appendicitis now? That's tough for him. Um, the Sixers and Embiid's health is a big question mark. Over in the West, though, is really the one – I've been waiting for months to see if Denver is real. And I think the Spurs are such a great litmus test for them because you go up against who I think is the greatest coach ever and some good players who I think are kind of generally sort of underrated because of the way they play and their excitement level and DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge. And I just I can't wait to see how that series shakes out. I just, for some reason, I feel like that's going to be an interesting series. No, I agree 100%. Um if there's any person who could take Jokic out of a game schematically, it's it's Popovich, right. and and you don't know how Denver's one of those teams that like they've had success recently, but they haven't made the playoffs I think since the Andre Iguodala years, and so similar to how the Bucks haven't made it out of the first round, but Denver hasn't been in the playoffs, and so you wonder about their mentality, kind of heading into it, heading into a series for a team that's on the younger side. Um, going up against uh, a Spurs team that you know probably it won't the Spurs won't seize the the series from you, but like if you hand it to them, like they will definitely take right. it. So I'm I'm curious about that series myself. I'm also gonna keep an eye on the uh, the Portland OKC series. Um, the Nurkic injury is obviously like very impactful there, 
and uh, but it's the can't play canter uh, revenge series i'm curious to see how that'll that goes. be fun i just think one last i don't know this isn't a nuggets podcast but i just think that i think Jokic has gotten so much heaped on him from both sides like the pro and the anti Jokic camps have had so much to say and i'm just thrilled to see like is his transcendent offense more than enough to make up for i mean he listen he's gonna get attacked defensively and his sort of discipline i mean this is I'm I'm doing that thing where I just like pass off a Zach Lowe thing, but at least I'm giving credit. Zach Lowe in Ten Things column a while back sort of pointed out that he'll just do like these frustration fouls where he doesn't get a call and he just hacks someone. And you no, know, you can't really afford to be doing that in the postseason. So I just think failure or not, this series is gonna be used as a referendum on Jokic for you know at least a year. And I can't wait to see how that, you know, young star holds up under his first taste of being a superstar, I mean, not a superstar, but a star in the playoffs. Yeah, definitely. I've been, I've been uh, critical of Jokic in the past, not necessarily because he's a bad player, because he's definitely not a bad player, but because he is not a traditional player uh, at his position. And I don't know uh, how you, I wonder how, how good you'd have to be the playing the way Jokic plays in order to be like a winning right. team or the type of team you have to build around him just seems so far removed from what the Nuggets actually have. Right. I'm just curious to see how that Absolutely. goes. I mean, we've seen probably the best, the best defensive defensive center in the league. Rudy Gobert has been schemed off the floor before by teams like center centers who aren't agile and who can't guard on the perimeter, even if they're terrific down low, have a hard time, you know, when teams like the Rockets, which is a tough matchup for Utah in round one, play them you know they can really have a hard time staying on the floor now you take a guy in Jokic who's absolutely not a great defensive center you know how is that going to look so yeah we're talking way too much about Denver right now but I'm just fascinated by it I I 100% agree but uh Ty thank you so much for uh taking the time to be on the Detroit Bad Boys podcast uh shout out your Twitter handle shout out your podcast shout out uh, where the people can get more Bucks coverage. Now, if the people want more Bucks coverage from me uh, on Twitter at Ty Windish, it's spelled weird, T I W I N D I S C H. I post everything I do on there. So if you follow along there, you'll get my Bucks takes and some other random, real random takes outside of the NBA. Not too many, though. Plus, obviously, the podcast, which is called the Euro Step. That's Creek Euro, G Y R O, obviously, an homage to the man, Giannis Tetagumbo. I said it wrong for once. Wow, shout out to me. Detacumbo. Um, but yeah, so that's where you can find my stuff if you're interested. Ty also does great stuff on the G League. Uh, the Herd were the herd were not good this year, no, right? No, they were not. <laughs> but you did a great job covering them. Thank, and so, you. Thank uh, you very much. Yeah, if you're interested in the G League at all, which you should be, the G League is highly fascinating. Um, I would also uh, check out the podcast for that. Ty, thank you so much for uh, coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we will have another podcast for you guys probably after game one, uh, unless they lose by like 40, in which case, like, (laughs) no, I'm not doing that. Uh, Thanks, everyone.